The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Broadcasting from the heart of Studio City, this is the Knapsack Files, The Return. I'm Ken Knapsack, your host for the show, which is good because it has my name on it. And I am back from, uh, once again, an unexpected hiatus. I, I, I shouldn't apologize for it. It's just life and good things have been happening, and, and that's and that's okay. We're going to accept that. I'm going to move uh, my guilt uh, from not broadcasting from my soul right now so that we may have a good show. It's good to be back. And I'm joined in the new and improved Knapsack Files Lounge, uh, which is now in a Mini Moe's Tavern, Simpsons Tribute Bar inside my lounge. I'll, I'll tweet some pictures out one of these days. Uh, with me is a, well, I'd say this is one of our most anticipated episodes. I think a lot of people are excited for this one, uh, almost as much as they were for Christian Harloff or Mark Ellis or the rest of the Schmoes No crew. This is the man that makes the Schmoes No movie show happen. It is Josh Tapia, a.k.a. Josh the Intern, now promoted to Josh the Engineer. What is going on, Ken? Thank you. Some great lies right there. Yeah? Right off the bat. Do you I feel like important? It. I feel semi-important. You should feel important. Uh, because right now, with the transition of the Schmoes No podcast, and if you don't listen to the Schmoes No podcast, give it a give it a whirl. Do you like movies? Do you like pop culture? Do you like laughing? Then head over to the Schmoes No podcast. You can find it. It's actually I, I, I'm trying to get rid of the word podcast from it because it's moved beyond just a podcast. Yeah, would you agree? Yeah, it's more of a show event. It's an internet TV show about movies. It also has an audio component. Uh, but you can find us live every Thursday night, 6 to 8 p.m. on schmoesno.com. We're now at the AfterBuzz TV studios, which are uh, run by Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, and the AfterBuzz crew, the fine folks over there. And because of that transition, you've gone from the hapless Josh the Intern to the all-powerful Josh the Engineer. How does that feel? Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, I'm kind of like a one-man TD operator. Yeah. Which I actually learned a little bit in college, so kind of had a like, flashback to my training back in the day. You went to college? Yeah, I did. <laughs> You're, yeah. uh, okay, there's a lot There's a lot we're going to learn about you. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, a lot, lot, lot to get into uh, Mr. Tapia here. When did you join the Shmozno crew? It was about two years ago. What year was it? 2000. 2012? Yeah, 2012. 2012, yeah. My first duty as the producer of the Schmozno podcast, as it was called back then, was to interview you at the Farmer's Market on 3rd and Fairfax um, to bring you in as a intern. Yeah. I. It's funny how that happened. I, yeah. Schmoes do like, YouTube videos very often, and they did one yeah. where like, ask the Schmoes whatever you want. And I didn't even like email them. I literally wrote it in the comment section. Hey, do you guys need an intern? Honestly, did not think anything would come out of it. And a little innocuous comment. Yeah, next thing Launched I your career. <laughs> Seriously. Imagine if I said that computer, I decided not to write that comment. So that's the lesson right here we're going to learn right now in the Knapsack Files, folks. Chase your dreams. Set goals and work hard. And then when you joined um, in October of 2012, uh, that's what you did. You worked hard. And uh, I want people to know that uh, who are tuning in to find out a little bit more about you, Josh, the intern, Josh now, the engineer, or Jete, as we call you. Um, the man who you are, Josh Tapia, is a hardworking, dedicated bloke who, um, and I don't want this to come off as making fun of your transportation situation, <laughs> yeah. though we need to start a Kickstarter to get you a car. 
Yeah. But you take a train and a bus and on one occasion a cab that dropped you off two miles away from the studio location. Three miles away from the studio. You corrected me. Um, and you still get to the studio two to three times a week to prepare the show. And back when you joined in October 2012, you showed up and... You know, it was funny because we hadn't the the position wasn't defined. It wasn't an internship. It was like that's just what we called you. Yeah. Really, you were a PA, a runner, a, a gopher, uh, but turned into a backbone employee. So thank you for that. Number one. No problem. Uh, maybe the fans out there will donate you some kind of used uh, Toyota Corolla from '91 or something like that. I'm working on getting a car, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I well, sold my car a couple years ago when I left LA. Right. And I came back. I just didn't want to buy one right well, that's away. That's fascinating. Let's talk about that. Okay. We're flying without a roadmap here. When you left L.A., explain to the folks what that means. Well, when I first moved to L.A., I think it was 2007, I mm -hmm. believe. Mm -hmm. I just graduated, you know, film school. Basically spent the first six months in Studio City, mm -hmm. your neighborhood. And where did you go to school at? Uh, I went to Full Sail University in Florida. Oh, I know Full Sail well, the yeah. home of uh, WWE's NXT TV tapings. Okay. Uh, th yeah, that's right. Look it up. Um, WWE's training developmental territory out there. Full, they shoot at Full Sail. So, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. That's good. It's a very good school. It is a very good school. Very expensive. <laughs> I learned. Mm, I'm still that's learning why, That's that. why you don't have a car. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's a really cool school, but it's like, um, I got my bachelor's in TV, film, science production, which I'm still not mm. quite sure what that means. Damn, that means you're smarter than me, though. Yeah, and it's a very accelerated school. Like, you mm -hmm. go far, five to six days a week, and you're there for six to 12 hours sometimes a day. Really? You can't really work when you're going to the school. So, like, you take student loans not only to go there, but I took out student loans just for living money. Yeah, just for getting yourself just, a hot yeah, dog. Uh, apartment. You know, I got an apartment. You know, yeah, food. Oh, wow. I Raymond noodles were a big hit. <laughs> Raymond noodles. Yeah, the, those an off brand of ramen noodles. Uh, yes, it's a Japanese version. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay, so you learned you learned full bore. I mean, that, and that's one thing when when you showed up to us, uh, you you're a fine filmmaker. You know, uh, your finest piece for us right now is the Meet the Schmoes Finstock edition. Yeah. Uh, your masterpiece, Jute's uh, uh, <laughs> masterpiece. Uh, check it out on Schmo Plus, the YouTube channel there. Um, so yeah, yeah, you have an extensive background. It's not just that you're a movie fan. No, no, you are, but it's beyond that. It started as a kid. I've loved movies since I was like two years old, as far as I can remember. Wait, wait, wait. Since you were two years old, you remember? I have pictures of me sitting in front of a TV when I was two years old, watching like <laughs> God knows maybe like ET and stuff like that. My literally, that was my babysitter. My parents, like, if they wanted me to be quiet, they would sit me in front of a TV and put on a movie. Here you go. Here's Children of a Lesser God. Watch this. Would you like Kramer versus Kramer? Here you go, kid. Well, wow, okay. So that's did. So you, your earliest memories of, of watching Flight of the Navigator or something like that. Okay. Yeah, I think. Man, what's my earliest? One of my this dig is, it up. Yeah, find it. One of my earliest memories as a kid was my dad taking me to see Superman Four: Quest for Peace. Which was a oh, horrible wow. movie, but yeah. as a little kid, oh, I loved it. Which one? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Um, that's the fourth one. The, which is the one with Pryor? That's the third one. Superman 3. Right. And that one was pretty bad, too, right? Yeah, that one's pretty bad. But it's when you're a kid, you love bad movies, man. I love Superman 3 as a kid. Yeah. Um, Pryor, that lady falls into the thing, like becomes a robot or something. Yeah, yeah. Like she that. gets transformed by like some giant laser. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, but I haven't seen that since I saw it in the theater, <laughs> and that's my point. Is I remember it. Yeah. Uh, so that uh, so as bad as it was, and I read about how bad it was mm -hmm. when I was a kid. It's good. So, all right, so you, your love starts there, and then when you went to film school. So, what's your goal? What, what? You know, 
I wasn't sure what my goal was. And that's one thing I will give Full Sail credit to is they don't teach you just like a lot of colleges will teach you theory of film. Yeah. And one thing they say at Full Sail, they teach you below the line, which means you learn. (laughs) Oh, that's a production thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a production thing. It's basically you learn how to do the smallest job on set to Mm -hmm. the biggest job on set. And when you, you shoot, we shot 35 millimeter, 16 millimeter. We shot, you know, digital. And it really prepared me for not just like how to make movies, but how to work on movies. And Which is a great strategy. It's a great strategy. And when you start going to full sail, because you do sound, you mm. do editing, you do you know camera, you figure out what you kind of like. And it, okay. it so kind of... It was to your advantage that you showed up kind of going, hey, teach me what you got. Exactly. Listen, I, when you get there, you go, I love film. I want to learn how to make it. And mm-hmm. I think once, and a lot of people that go to college, like USC and stuff, they teach above the line, which is basically... Spoiled. To, right and direct. Yeah. So when you become a PA and you work on set, that's yeah. when you find out, hey, maybe I'd like to do sound. Maybe I'd like to do video. Maybe I'd like to do camera. And, and for me, it also shows that you have some credibility. Let's say you direct a movie at some point. like a, Let's say yeah. JTE directs uh, Captain America 5. All right, let's say Marvel does that. By the time you get to that point, you will have done all the little things, and so you have some credibility as a leader, I would think. Yeah, I would like think so. I mean, me and Marvel do, aren't Josh. talking right now. But. Oh, yeah. Well, we can, we can uh, work on that. Um, yeah. yeah, okay, that's great. So, I mean, I don't think people know that about you, that you know what you're talking about. You know what you're doing. When you're like the the bub above four to the three aspect ratio, get me a C-stand with a, the, you know it. You've done it. Yeah, yeah. I've worked on sets. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, you know, shot a lot of short films. Yeah. For me, like, obviously when I left the film school, I was like, I'd love to be a director. Sure. But I am also very realistic in my... Right. Knowing coming to Hollywood, becoming a director is not something that everybody pulls off. It's kind of like hitting the lottery. It's when luck meets preparation. I was prepared. Oh, yeah, it's a good bumper sticker. Yeah, yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. It's, so I was prepared. You know, it's all about the luck aspect for me. Yeah. And I don't know. Like when I started working on films, it just seems like it's so hard to get to where mm-hmm. to go through the become a director by going through a set and working on set. I feel like you have a better chance of just going out making your own film, yeah. which a lot of people are doing nowadays. Yep. Yeah. And that's the difference. I think, you know, when I was a kid, it was more about working on set and going through the studios. That's how Spielberg became a director and all these other guys. Right. They worked in studio stuff and they met these other guys. And Spielberg, he directed. I believe he directed the classic. 1942. 1942 and oh, okay. Awakenings. Yeah. Okay. It was only good, two that good, come to good. mind. <laughs> um, and for those who don't know, Josh and I have a long running battle about my lack of uh, watching movies yes. and you watching everything ever made. So that'll pop up. We'll, we'll dive into that later. What's a gremlin? Um, so. You still, you haven't given up on any passion to direct, though, right? No. You might get the opportunity coming out of Schmoville here. <laughs> True. I always said, like, I've, I've had several times in my life have planned about making a small independent film. Okay. With, the great thing about going to film school is you meet all these other guys that want to make movies. I always say I didn't go to film. I started. I did two years. You won't believe this, but I actually did two years learning the basics of film school. No way. Uh, at Allen Hancock Community College in oh, Santa okay. Maria, California. But it had, a, it had a robust film program, all right? There's several people down here who I know who, at the time who have been making movies. My friend uh, Ben Cooper is a director. Wow. been making independent movies down here 14 years in Hollywood. So it, it was a – we could make fun about a community college, but I, I went there for two years. I was like, I'm going to be the next George Lucas. Okay. Uh, I'm going to write uh, horrible sci-fi prequels. No, I went down there. That was my goal. I, I wrote eight scripts. I had all this stuff. And then I realized uh, I just didn't have the patience for any of it. Below the line and below, above the line, writing was about the only thing I wanted to do. So oh. you went there 
with this passion to direct, so it hasn't it hasn't left you. No, I love. I am most comfortable when I have a camera and I'm shooting something. Right. To this day, like when I do meet the schmoes, mm-hmm. half the fun for me is just having a care in my hand and shooting whatever comes yeah. in my head. And you don't. You're not a glory hound. You no. you you are content kind of being who you are. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I mean that in a nice way. Like yeah. you're, you're not showing up with a look at me attitude. You're like, oh, I'm the guy that's going to be pressing the buttons, shooting, editing, which is very hard and you edit a lot of stuff for the schmoes not the reviews or anything but a lot of the side videos and the yeah. commercial breaks and all that good stuff that we see you're doing yeah and i enjoy that i love one of the things i realized i loved when i was in film school was mm. not only just shooting but the e- editing because really you can oh, shoot crazy you can shoot so much stuff and it's not until you get to the editing room that you really know you have something yeah you make a movie three times the writing the shooting and the editing and yeah. the editing's probably the one that wins yeah. <laughs> as yeah. far as the one that makes it look good so I enjoy that stuff and you know mm. I love doing stuff for the Schmel, so so when you finished Full Sail yeah. other than probably billions of debt um, <laughs> yeah then what I went home for about two weeks and visited where's, where's home in Connecticut and oh, I, you're a blue blood. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted, because, you know, I've been in college for a couple of years. I wanted to go visit family. Mm-hmm. But I also went back home with the mindset that not to stay there too long. Because Smart. I was afraid I was going to get comfortable. Yeah. You know, I'm staying with my parents, blah, blah, blah. So I basically said, I'm coming back for two weeks. Going to have a little graduation party. Mm-hmm. And then I flew straight out to L.A. for the first time. I've never been to wow. L.A. before. And I had a friend who graduated about a year before me who already moved to L.A., and he was only there for a few months, and he had an apartment, and he basically agreed to let me sleep on his floor. Okay. So my and it was in Studio City, uh, and I basically took a plane here. And and I won't mention the uh, apartment complex. I don't I don't know why I wouldn't. It's the Archstone. Yeah. Um, it's kind of famous in here in L.A. or known in L.A. Uh, for um, well, let's just say some some uh, women performers of a certain industry. Yes. Uh, live the there a lot of them are there and uh there's that shop that ralph's next door yep. where if you go on a friday night about five thirty to buy a can of soup you're going to meet some interesting young ladies there so you you were there it's funny when you see those ladies and you know immediately what they do for a living so you've come this is this is why i, I bring it up to because you've come to la and this yeah. is you're like i'm here let's hollywood and wow look at her and wow look at this and now i'm here i'm here this is real it's happening yeah you know it was a little bit mind-blowing um yeah. Um, like I, I told you before, Ralph's right next to where I was living. Yeah. I would go, sh- I think my second week here I was shopping, you know, I'm buying like a yeah. TV dinner or something. And I look down and there's Robert Patrick uh-huh. from Terminator 2. He's like pushing a cart down towards me and I'm just like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. It was like, I'm hearing the Terminator music. Yeah. So I had to get used to that. Now I'm used to it now. I see people. It I was is. Like, oh, okay. when, when you all have like the first celebrity sightings, um, look, there's still ones that are probably weird and random you probably have if you were yeah. to meet a certain celebrity you'd be like oh yeah when we all met Roddy Piper on the podcast mm-hmm. and I had met Piper before and actually eventually as, as people know got to be in a wrestling match with him that was one of the oh my gosh I'm meeting you type of moments yeah. but there's other ones where you're just like yeah it's John Malkovich and it's different when you see him in public and you're not like meeting them yeah I went and saw Pirates 3 in Century City with a friend of mine yeah. and Bruce Willis showed up to see the movie Really? Just that? Yeah. He's there watching a movie with his girlfriend, and I can't concentrate on the movie anymore. Because you're like, Bruce Juice, he's on the loose. Yeah, John McClane's a few rows ahead of me. Like, I'm I'm looking at him when I'm actually watching the movie. So there's, when you're that level, it's, uh, when you're a movie geek like me, yeah, it's hard to comprehend. It's a little, when you first, and I'm, I'm talking about when you first hit the town, it is surreal. I was at a... 
Um, I was driving down the street, and for some reason, it was really weird. I saw Noah Wiley. Noah Wiley? From ER. Yeah. And it was this is late 90s. And I just remember, wow, this must happen every day. It doesn't. Yeah. But, you know, I was uh, stuck in traffic on Sunset one night, and uh, this this jerk was, like, cutting through traffic in a Cadillac Escalade. I'm like, who the hell is... Oh, it's, it's Suge Knight. Okay. You can uh, go, sir. Yeah. You can go, sir. Uh, it's surreal. And you kind of... Eventually, you kind of get used to it, or you become friends with people who become famous, or you becomes friends with people who already have a degree of fame yeah and it becomes kind of this normal thing but then you see that i i at that same ralph's you were talking about i was at the uh uh self-checkout line and on the one direct opposite of me was allison brie from uh, community and i love I, of my life absolutely had one of those uh i'm gonna fall over to her car i'm gonna fall over to her car <laughs> like she should have had me arrested right there and i got on a phone call and uh called uh joe ruggiero shoesy pants mm-hmm. from schmoes no world who was a big fan too i'm like i just bought some eggs next to Allison Bree. And that was like two years ago. So it doesn't really leave. But anyways. Listen, when you see somebody in LA, you can't wait to tell somebody else. It's, 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 it is what it is. And my uh, ex-girlfriend, uh, her mom had a coffee shop. She used to regularly uh, serve John Malkovich and, and became friends with Malkovich. He'd just oh, wow. sit there hanging out. And I never, I stood next to him. I never hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. I just, hey, let me get a latte and let them carry on their conversation. Yeah, Because that's what he wanted. He didn't want to be John Malkovich. He just wanted to be John. My ex-girlfriend in Simi Valley, yeah. I guess Mark Wahlberg lives around there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she would see him all the time at Target, at the grocery right. store, and she says it's because it's he's there so often. Yeah. It's kind of normal. They don't yeah. really approach him or do anything. And in my head, I'm like, holy crap, I saw Mark Wahlberg. I'd <laughs> yeah, probably say true. something. Again, there's this one. I walked right past George Lucas at the Grove. Oh, really? And oh, this is four years ago. <laughs> so this was obviously post-prequels mm-hmm. and obviously post all that anger and angst we as fans have. But he's still George Lucas. And no, he was talking to some girl. Might have even been his daughter, Katie. And now that I think back in time, Katie Lucas, who's written on the Clone Wars now and everything. And he's just walking along. And he's got the flannel and the beard. And it's George Lucas. Yeah. And I rubbed his shoulder. And no <laughs> one else was really paying attention. And uh, I was like, that's the epitome of what it is to be in this town. And for me, like working in industry, mm-hmm. it's a it's a respect thing. I don't want to bother these people and act like a fan because I know they probably get it so often. Like when I saw Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. I didn't say anything to him. But after the movie, as we're walking out, some Spanish lady started screaming and literally ran from across the theater to like she like her hands waving in the air like oh my god I love you we have a we have a saying in our uh, well now it's former pro wrestling company that I Millennium Pro Wrestling our, our head trainer he was friends with a uh, uh, very famous punk-like wrestler who's recently retired from the WWE. Oh, okay. And uh, there was a chance that that gentleman was going to come out and say hi. It was a possibility. You know? yeah. And uh, some of our wrestlers were freaking out. And, and we had this saying. It was like, you choose. Do you want to get a picture with them or do you want to one day wrestle with them? Oh, nice. What do you want to do? Uh, and, you know, exactly. No one. I, I There's people I, I don't. I maybe could say I want to meet his fans, but. Uh, you know, treat them as humans, so maybe you can work with them one day when you're in this town. Totally agree. Um, we got off on a sidetrack on celebrity sightings, yeah, which sorry. is weird. So, Alice and Bree, I'd like to apologize for stalking you to your car uh, out of the Ralphs. Um, anyways, you're in town. Yeah. You've, you've come from full sail. You're here. Your dreams are out in front of you, and you end up into what? The first thing I did was I did a couple of free PA jobs where basically you go on Craigslist and you look free. Oh, yeah. don't, don't do things for free. I learned that very quickly. Uh, so I did a couple of spec commercials for like mm-hmm. some random people that are looking for PAs. Yeah. They know what they're looking for. Kids that just moved out here. Yeah. They're trying to get their foot in the door. Exactly. Which I was doing. 
So I did like I think two or three of those, and at that point I was like, I can't do free no more. Yeah, because I need to start making some money. We all get to a point where we're like, we can't do things for free anymore. Yeah, but sometimes you start to get some work in. And I actually got very lucky. A friend of mine who I grew up with, I've known since probably third grade, and he's still a real good friend of mine. His sister had moved out here, and she does like a lot of online stuff, like blogging and stuff. Mm-hmm. And her boyfriend was in does transpo. Mm. Which in Transpo is basically in the film series where you work vans on sets and stuff like that. And she heard about what I was out there and she offered me a work on a commercial. Okay. And this guy was really cool and he basically was like, yeah, I'll give you a quick job. And what I found out very quickly is people in Hollywood, they love commercial work because mm-hmm. it's they pay you more yeah. for less days. Yeah. Whereas in a film, and I've done a few films, low budget and some bigger budget, you'll get paid maybe not as much, but you get a longer job. Yeah. But if you go on a set of a commercial, it's a lot of veterans. The sound yeah. guys are veterans. The camera guys are veterans. It's like they've done their dues. Hmm. So they all said to me, man, it's a big deal that you're working on a commercial already. Because hmm. usually this is what the veterans do. This is what they aspire to get to. Yeah, that's what you get to. Small jobs, a lot of money. And I was like, okay, awesome. And uh, one of my first commercials was a L'Oreal commercial. Yeah. With uh, starring Penelope Cruz. Penelope Cruz. Yes. You got to meet Penelope Cruz. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting story. Uh, we shot for two days. Yeah. And I made about, I think it was about 250 a day. Yeah. So it was pretty good money for me. At that point, I was ecstatic. Um, and the first day we shot in the Hollywood Hills, they rented out a house and they made it look like Penelope's house. Mm. My job was literally, we had base camp on Sunset Boulevard. My job was like driving the people from Sunset up the hills into the house. Right. So all day I'm driving back and forth. That was a pretty easy day. Second day, we shot in a Paramount lot, which mm. was, to me, I'm geeking out. Yeah. Because they gave me a golf cart, and I'm basically... Oh, yeah, well, yeah, you're, uh, yeah, PA on a, on a P- studio with a golf oh, cart. Oh, it's amazing. And I'm riding around, and like one second, you're in the studio, yeah. and then you take a right turn, and it looks like you're in downtown Chicago. Right. There's right. a set that looks like Chicago. And I'm just like, this is unbelievable. And I'm calling my... I'm like tweeting my friend... Not tweeting, texting. Texting. Uh, texting my friends. Friendstering. And uh, the Barry Levinson was shooting a film on the lot with Robert De Niro called What Could Happen, mm-hmm. I believe it was called. And I pull my golf cart over and I see De Niro doing a scene from the movie. They're filming it. Wow. So I'm sitting there and I cannot believe I'm watching Robert De Niro act. Were you in his eye line? No, I was like, <laughs> there was a lot of people watching too. Which yeah. I thought maybe, you know. Yeah, you'd think they'd be like, hey, buzz off. Yeah, De Niro's off. working. But De Niro's there doing a scene. It was like a lunch scene. Yeah. It made his little place look like an outside diner. And I called my friend from film school and I'm like, you're not going to believe this. I'm watching De Niro do a scene right now. This is like unbelievable. That's funny. And so afterwards, I eventually go back to where they're shooting a commercial. Yeah. And we're collecting C-stands, which is basically what lighters used for flags and stuff yeah. like that. Very technical. You use a lot of terms. Yeah, a lot of that terms. That I know I'm familiar with because I've seen other people do it. Exactly. So <laughs> one of the guys who's a grip, older guy, goes yeah. and he goes, hey, there's a C-stand and a sandbag in Penelope's trailer. Go get it. I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's in her trailer? He's like, yeah, don't worry. Just go in there and grab it. We need it. At this point, I'm a... I'm a kid who's on a set for the first time. You're a rookie. I'm a rookie. I'm like, okay, no problem. Your boot. So I didn't even knock, which is even worse. (laughs) I opened the trailer, and there's Penelope in her bra and underwear. (laughs) (laughs) And she has two other girls in there with her. Like, one's doing hair, one's doing makeup. And the second I open the door and I see her, she looks back at me and goes, get out. And her two girlfriends start yelling at me, get out, get out. And I'm just like, oh, sorry. I close the door. And I'm just like, oh my god! I'm fired. I'm fired. Yeah, that's one thing. I'm fired. I might not even. I might be murdered. So now I'm like running around hiding, and I hear we have walkie-talkies. I hear, uh, somebody just go into Penelope's 
without knocking. I didn't answer. I didn't say anything. I just avoided the situation as much as possible, and I did busy work like around the yeah, set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good thing is Paramount's very big, so I was able to get lost. Yeah, yeah. And I knew right away those guys probably pulled that on me because they knew it was my first show. <laughs> but listen, I got to see Penelope in her bra and underwear. Hey, that's a bonus. That's a yeah. bonus for a little rib. Uh, wow. That's uh, see, yeah. And you had mentioned that you met her uh, when I. Um... Oh, let me say, very yeah. nice lady, by the way. I did the. I had lunch with her earlier in the day because yeah. she was very cool. They have a big, nice food truck, and yeah. you eat lunch. It was like steak and like lobster crabs. I couldn't believe how much good food. Lobster crabs? Yeah. Well, you know, is crab. that like a new invention? <laughs> they had lobsters and crabs, like Lob- a whole like. Is that some Disney villain? <laughs> a lobster crab came yeah. from the deep. As you can tell, I don't. I can't afford to eat that food very often. I can't either. Um, uh, okay, so but that but that was before the. Underwear. That was before, and she sat down with like the crew and was eating yeah. with us. So she was very kind of chill and nice. And until then after the underwear incident, you just, probably did. Didn't have lunch yeah, with her. I avoided her at all costs because I didn't want her to be like, "That's him. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. That's the one." So yeah, That's funny. Well, when we when I interviewed you for Schmoes, no, I remember kind of like, "All right, have you? We you might occasionally be around celebrities in the yeah. Schmoes now, then." You were like, "Whatever, dude." I barged in on Penelope. <laughs> yeah, and you told me that story, and uh, this kid's gonna be all right. Yeah, this kid's gonna be all right. So so from that production work, you end up. Um, how long did you do that? Oh man, for almost a year and two years, uh, right up until the writer strike, that so really affected me. Yeah, yeah. November two thousand seven, right? Was two thousand seven the writer strike? Yep, I yep, thought it was yep. two thousand nine. Two thousand seven, because no, wait, no, take it back, take it back. You were right. Two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand nine. Two thousand seven. We shot a pilot with Christian Harloff and oh, okay. everybody called Grassman at Straws. We finally, when it was finally done, we presented it mm-hmm. in uh, November two thousand nine. Then I believe, or maybe okay. it was two thousand eight. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Remember um, but it was November. Because I'll I'll tell you that because we presented it like the day the strike started, oh, no. so no one if they're interested or not they 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 couldn't touch it. The strike was on. Yeah. Well, basically up to that point, one thing and I learned is you do you I do not get jobs by sending resumes. I sent right. out so many resumes I never got a job. Every job I got from that point on was recommendations. You, mm-hmm. you become friends with these other people that work on set. Yeah. And you will just get calls, and to work mm-hmm. on other projects, and it could be nerve wracking because you don't know when you get your next call. Yeah, but it gets to the point where you become friends with these people, and like I would get calls like, "Hey, I can't work this. Do you want to work it?" Yeah, and I'd be like, "Fine." It got to the point where I was getting offered so many jobs that I had other people call me for work because oh, really? I was very occasionally I was giving work to other people because yeah. I was already on a film or I was already on a TV show. And when the writer strike happened, and yeah. it dried up like so bad. Yeah, I had people call me for work, and I was like, "Listen, I can't even get work right now." Right. And, uh, yeah, so those two years I did a lot of PA work, some key PA work, some assistant camera work. There's good money in that work, and these guys yeah. that do it for years. And I know some people have gone on to do crew and set painting, and it is scary because I knew one kid, he got married, had a kid, bought a house in Simi Valley, oh, wow. and all of a sudden the work stopped. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't go to Vancouver. He couldn't go to New Mexico. He couldn't go to North Carolina mm-hmm. to shoot. And uh, I haven't talked to him in a while. The last time I talked to him, it was kind of dire. Yeah, I mean, know? it's funny. It's like... It's really about all who you know. That's mm-hmm. what I found out. And I worked on a lot of VH1 MTV stuff for a while. Like, I, you'll find a production company that likes you. Yeah. And they'll give you a lot of work. So I did a lot, of, and I don't like reality TV. Yeah. Working on it is fine, I guess. I wasn't really enjoying it too much. I much preferred working on films. Yeah. Just because I enjoy films more. You enjoy, you enjoy, you want to see De Niro. Yeah. And it depends. Like, it's funny when you work on a low budget film. 
you feel the low budget because everyone's stressed out. Everyone's right. trying to make the day. Right. So I did like this one film called Midnight Movie, which shot right here in North Hollywood, not okay. that far from here. And I worked on that for like a month straight, and it was okay, but the producers were losing their mind because of mm. the money situation, the actors weren't happy. So it was really stressful. But then when I worked on some higher budget stuff, it's just like what's the, uh, cakewalk. What's, what's of those higher budget ones? What did you work on, can you say? Uh, the only, uh, this one wasn't as bad as I worked in the office. I mm. worked in uh, Valkyrie, which Valkyrie, was the Tom gotcha. Cruise film. Yeah. I came on towards the end, and... I was never like fully on a full budget film from beginning to end. Yeah. Basically, I was like a day player. They would call me in for a week or two here gotcha. and there. So, and for that one, they were doing reshoots. They were doing the, they were shooting out in the desert, like the scene where Tom Cruise gets his eye blown out, like in the desert in the beginning of the film. If that happens, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you never saw it. Uh, so, we were doing like all these wardrobe tests, and most of my time, I was in Brian Singer's office. Oh, were you now? Yeah, for about 90% of the time, I was in there just doing paperwork, and every once in a while, I would run the set and do stuff. So what can you tell us about that situation? Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, no, uh, yeah. Basically, uh, let me just say this. He's a very shy, quiet guy when I worked with him. Yeah. My desk was right next to his office. Okay. So it would be, literally, he would, he would always walk around with a Superman mug, and he hmm. would just kind of come in and out, and he would just go, oh, hi, and yeah, that's it. I would always talk to the second command or yeah, some yeah. of the other guys. He, you didn't really bother him, put it that way. Okay, but he's like, listen, he's who knows. I didn't really get to know him. So. We, we hear those parties, we hear the yeah. stories. Also, let me say, when you work as a PA and a key PA, you yeah. get called for jobs. You don't know exactly what they are until you get there. Yeah. Okay. The code name for that film was Rubicon, hmm. and they called me like, "There's a f- film at Focus Features called Rubicon. Can you do it for a couple weeks?" I was like, "Sure." I had no idea what it was. You know, yeah. I even looked online. I was like, what the hell is this? It's right. probably some straight-to-DVD movie. It wasn't until I got there, and I started looking like the, they had binders that said Valkyrie and stuff. And I'm like, holy shit. Did you get to meet Cruz? No. Cruz. It's yeah. funny. I, to this day, they give you a – when you start a movie, they give you a packet with every single person's mm-hmm. contact, email, phone number. So really? everyone that worked on that film, I had all their contacts except for Tom Cruise. <laughs> Tom Cruise said – they gave you his agents like email, yeah, yeah. and that's it uh, but no I never got to see Tom like we filmed a lot of stuff we filmed was second assistant gotcha. and stuff like that so it happens so for that work the writer strike hits things are dire and you decide yeah. to leave the country not yet not yet not yet I decided to go work for Deluxe Digital in Burbank that sounds dirty uh, they, if you want, put in any Blu-ray or DVD, yeah. and you go to the very end of the, you know, right after credits yeah. end, you'll usually see a deluxe logo. They handle a lot Everything. of the post-production as far as like film, and now more digital, but back then it was more film. And it's just a production house that handles DVDs, Blu-rays, and restoration, and they even do like not editing, but some of the color. So you're, just, you're, you're making copies then. You make them copies that, of movies. Not even my job. <laughs> And this is when I had a car. My job was what? like... What? Yeah. I bought a car after like maybe six months. After the first mm-hmm. six months, I bought a Nissan Sentra. What happened? Oh, yeah. I, that's right. Yeah, I, I sold it. We're getting to that point. We're getting to that point. So basically, at this point, my job every day was to drive to all that are studios. Right. And basically pick up film. I mean, like canisters of film. And sometimes digital copies. Stuff that needed to be worked on that we needed to have in the studio. Right. So... I got to the point where I was at Universal Studios every day. I was at WB, MGM. I, I went to every studio every day, which was cool because before I left, I could have walked into Universal Studios because the security guards all knew me. They all knew you. Yeah. yeah. Like, I even brought friends to the back. I had friends visit me. I would get them to the back lot. Really? Because when I went to security, they would know who I am. Hey, they, JT, yeah. come on down. <laughs> come on in. If so, only you had that nickname then. Um uh, Cool. Uh, so you're doing that. Yeah, and that's what... Yeah, and that's when it dried up? 
it was because the reason why I went to that job because the films dried up and the right. TV shows dried up, and I needed to do something to make money. Right. But after doing that for about a year, I was just burnt out on it. I wasn't happy. I wanted to work on movies, and mm. all my contacts kind of dried up from before. Okay. And part of me was like, okay, I really don't want to do this anymore. I don't know if I want to go right back into production because I did my production time, and before I could really turn it to something, the strike happened and all my work dried up. Right. So then I was just like, you know what? My parents recently retired went to South America. I said, I just need to like recharge the battery. Mm-hmm. So I sold my car. I was renting. <laughs> I was renting a house in Burbank. I you know gave him my notice. I packed all my stuff in a bag, and I flew to South America. <laughs> By all the stuff in a bag, you mean a couple of VHS copies of Gremlins and <laughs> no. Ghostbusters, and headed out. I literally threw everything I owned on Craigslist, like for free, practically. Right. And I all I brought to Ecuador was some clothes and a bunch of DVDs and Blu-rays. <laughs> anyway, so this I, is Ecuador, okay? Yeah, Ecuador, South America, Ecuador. Cause that's where my parents were. They were very lucky. They. What made them choose Ecuador? My dad's from Ecuador. Oh, he is? Yeah. Okay. So my dad, my mom joined the Peace Corps in the 70s. Ah. Met my dad in South America while she was stationed. They moved, True love. Yes, true love. They met, and they basically moved to America once they got married, and that's where I was okay. up and raised. Okay, so he was like, hey, I'm retired. We're going back down. Yeah. We're going to open up a surf shop or something. And they invested and bought a bunch of property in the early 80s. Nice. Which they got for really cheap, and now is worth a lot more. Gotcha. So they're kind of like those uh, villains in some kind of clear and present danger movie, right? They just have a bunch of land and a compound, huh? Exactly. <laughs> so you had, I remember when I first met you, you're like, yeah, I spent like a year in Ecuador. What? Yeah, I just played basketball and walked around. I li- To not work, since I was 16, I've worked my whole life. Right. Except for when I went to college, but that school was like work. Again, 12-hour days, school, so yeah. So for not working for a year, it was like, it was really kind of awesome. <laughs> I mean, no other word to say it. I get it. Yeah. And after I worked so hard in Hollywood, those all those years too. Yeah. I was kind of burnt out and I just kind of wanted a year to find myself what I wanted to do. What year is this now? This is uh, 2011. Okay. I believe. No, wait, 2012. It was about 2010, the beginning of 2010. Okay. And uh, I spent the first four months in the beach uh, because that's where my parents were getting a condo and which was awesome. But. I got bored after a while, so I moved to Quito, which is the capital of Ecuador, up in the Andes Mountains. Okay. Rented an apartment, which, listen, it's so cheap down there. That's yeah. why. That's the only reason why I could not work for a year and be there, was because South America is so cheap. Because, huh. I mean... So my, you, just had, you just saved up your food stamps from Burbank, and you went down there, and you're like... <laughs> Living like a king. Taquitos for everybody. Oh, I don't know. What's the... Uh, lobster crabs or whatever? Let me tell you, they have mm-hmm. great steak down there. Steak? Yeah. Steak and lobster crabs are down there. A, a nice steak dinner will cost you about $6 down there. Get out of here. I'm that's, telling you. I can't right. buy you a Big Mac here. <laughs> yeah, no. It can't, you it's can't ridiculous. even get you a Big Mac deal now. Yeah. Here. I don't know what's going on. But, so what, but the quality of life, let me ask, is it how different is it? It is. On that, you're not vacationing there. You're living there. Yeah. it's The quality of life, depending where you live, is can be right. really bad. I was in Quito, which is the capital, which is a really nice area. Right. But you go out to dinner and there's you know, four-year-old homeless kids asking for food sometimes. Right. And you don't get that here. Right, right, <laughs> so right. So you definitely see some of the poverty and the law is not as strong out there. Like right. you could get away with a lot more down there. This is to me the flip side. And this yeah. is why I'm fascinated by anyone. I understand obviously your father's born there. That's a different yeah. center. But to go back or to go live there, I'm fascinated by it. I'm not disparaging it. I'm mm-hmm. or questioning it at all. I'm fascinated by, uh, you had told me what time you were mugged in Ecuador. Yeah. Oh man. That's the problem because I'm in that American mindset. Yeah. Where you feel like you're safe for the most part. For the most part. Yeah. 
outside of maybe a couple wrong turns from the Staples Center, you're okay here. I just saw the latest Fast and Furious film. Right. I think it was like Fast Five. Mm-hmm. I was walking home at 10 o'clock at night, and this guy like pulled the back of my shoulder, and I had my headphones on, so I didn't even see him coming. Oh, uh, head on a swivel. Yeah. Head on a swivel, Josh. And he has his hand in his pocket like he has a gun. But I know right away he doesn't have a gun. Because number one, I will the, say about South America. Kevin Costner from Field of Dreams? Yeah. <laughs> Ecuador is very hard to get a gun. It's, okay. it's, it's not like here where you can just go in the store and buy one. Gotcha. So to you have a gun in Ecuador, you got to get it really you legally. Have the, you have the power. Yeah, exactly. So my dad always told me if a guy says he has a gun and he doesn't show it to you, he probably doesn't have a gun. Mm. So the second I look at this guy's pocket, it's so obvious he just has his finger and his... And the, the jacket could barely hold... The pockets on his jacket could barely hold his hand. Yeah, right. So I'm like, this dude doesn't have a gun. Right. So I try to push him off me, and he's just saying, pistola, pistola. He's like, he has a pistol. I was like, you don't got a pistol. So at this point, I'm just trying to get away from him so I can run away. Right. I wasn't even like going to try to fight him or anything, but he like literally wrapped his hand so dug into my jacket, huh. I couldn't get him free. So at this point, I'm having a little wrestling with him. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I just need to get away so I can run away, because this guy doesn't have a gun. And then he pulls out like a little pocket knife. <laughs> And it's about, it's only like a two inch blade. But uh, still. That's enough for me to say, okay. Uh, So I I had like no cash in my wallet. Right. And I showed him my wallet. I was like, I have nothing. He's like, give me the phone. I have my iPhone. And iPhone down there is like a brick of gold. (laughs) Those things go for like electronics down there, go for triple the value they go from here. So I had to give him the phone. Looking back, I wish I just threw it in the street. (laughs) Right. Because then he would have broke and he wouldn't have got it, but then he might stab me. Yeah, or he goes and reaches for it, and you punt him in the head. Exactly. Because you know, it turns out he was the police chief. Right? <laughs> this is the, the Ecuador here. That's not He's far a, off. Federale or something. So he runs away, and I start chasing him. <laughs> but I'm staying, because we're not like in the, it's not like he got me in an alley. Yeah. We're in the middle of the city. We're close to like major intersections. And what time is this? 10 o'clock at night. So there's people there's around. There's people around. Is there so, a Denny's open nearby or something? Uh, Denny's is like a five-star down there. <laughs> So I'm running after him, but I'm... You're not convincing me to live down here. <laughs> I'm keeping my distance. Yeah. I am, like, keeping at least 20 yards So you're us. chasing him, but you're just kind of keeping a watch. Keeping a watch on him. And and LAPD, they call that a code five. Yes. All right. Gotcha. And then these two cops pull in front of me mm-hmm. in a pickup truck. And they say, stop bothering him. <laughs> and I tell them in the best... And at this point, I've learned quite a few... Okay. Good amount of Spanish. So what do you say in Spanish? I'm like, you know, uh, he took me dinero... Uh, I can't. Oh god! Now I, I it's, it's lost away. I was okay. like, he had a pistola. Like I'm just miming it. Yeah. And the cops are like, jump in. We're going after. Him. Okay, I'm so on board here. I'm jumping in the car and like he, I'm trying to. They're basically taking me around the block and we're driving around. Is one of them the making the siren sound or they actually have a they siren? Didn't have, they didn't even turn the siren on. <laughs> we're just rolling around this because we're near a, we're near a park where I actually play basketball a lot. Right. And we're just like I'm literally like I'm, I'm focused. My vision. I'll never forget this guy's face. So I'm looking for like a his jacket. I'm like. But listen, he I don't know where the guy went because we could not find him. The cops drove me around for like 15 minutes trying to find him. At this point, the cops were like, he's gone. Then they turned to you and said, what's in your wallet? Yeah, what's well? I was afraid the cops were going to just start shooting him if they right. saw him. And so they gave me a ride home. They told me to be careful more. And that was my big mugging story. Appreciate Gringo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this. I love it. That's a, I'm, not making, I'm not laughing at you. It's just you're not convincing me to leave a Studio City. All right? I have True. enough problems going to but other parts of this country. That was my only 
bad case in the whole year I was there. Uh, and I'm making a generalization. Uh, I can tell you're getting defensive uh-huh. of the people of Ecuador. I'm making a generalization here from a, a, yeah. a white bread American point of view. But I understand. You're not, I mean, <laughs> the stakes are $6. The police chief will come and mug you. But stakes are six bucks. Uh, I'm all right. I'll, I'll go here and get my $15 hamburger. One thing I will say, there's a great sense of community down there. If something goes wrong, everybody kind of comes together. And sure. Out. I don't even know my neighbors above me. An earth, <laughs> exactly. earthquake hits tonight, I'll oh, be like, man. I don't know who you are. Get out of my living room. Can I just say, like, growing up in New England, that's the yeah. big difference between L.A. and, like, maybe some of the oh, East yeah? Coast is What's I that? knew all of my neighbors. It was like my whole street was like, a, you know. I knew growing up in my hometown of okay. Royal Grande, I knew it here. Down okay. here, believe me, I've, I've thought you think about that because... We've had some earthquake rumblings here lately, mm-hmm. some little bit more than the average, you know, earthquakes that kind of make you think, you know, and it's like, I don't know anyone here. These are yeah. the people I'm going to be boiling water with in my underwear on the street because we have no power for four days. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit of that. It's a trade-off, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Uh, it's it's weird. You know, I've been to other parts of the country, not for long periods of time, but Tennessee was great. Everyone, you went to a jack-in-the-box and they were like, how's your family? You don't even know my family. Well, tell me about your family. <laughs> um, and that's good. And at some point, though, you're kind of like, Stop talking to me. I just want my bowl of chicken um, mixed with gravy and mashed potatoes. So you're in Ecuador. Um, uh, you come back. This is when I find you. Not right away. I go back to Connecticut for a little while. Oh, okay. Because I wanted to spend some time, but not just my family. But I have a lot of friends back home. Right. And I've been in L.A. so long. I've been in Ecuador. Ecuador. I was like, you Getting know what? I really, basketball. Yeah, I really need to go back and see my friends, my family. All my mom's family is in that area. Gotcha. So I was like, I just need to go back and spend some time with the family and stuff. And after being back in town, I was like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> I miss, like... I miss my mugger in Ecuador more that. than my aunt. I did miss L.A. And my sister, sure. my sister was still out here. Uh-huh. And I was like, I think I need to go visit my sister because while it's nice to be back in, you know, Connecticut... I didn't realize why I left in the first place. Right. <laughs> I love the city. I love the city. That's good. And now, this whole, you had been watching the Schmoes now... Guys, for the whole time, right? Or the, when did you start watching them? The reason why I started watching them was because one thing I love about living in LA is you're surrounded by people that love film. Yeah. And you have those conversations. When I was in South America, I was, I mean, I was living by myself for a while. No one spoke English really. Right. So I went to YouTube to watch all these reviews because I needed my. You missed. I missed, You were lonely. You missed Hollywood. I missed the movie geek culture. Right. And. I started watching reviews online because I couldn't talk to my friends about it anymore. Yeah. And some of the schmoes was one of the first people I started watching, and it was because they went on Corolla Podcast. Gotcha. Because I heard of them before. Because when I lived in L.A., I heard them on the Corolla Podcast. Gotcha. And I was like, oh, yeah, those are the guys that, you know, used to be on Corolla. Maybe I'll check out their videos. And that's really when I kind of become a fan, and then, you know, that got me onto the podcast. Yeah, you write this letter. <laughs> or not even a letter. You write this comment. Yeah. Well, I come back to Connecticut. Right. And I'm thinking of moving back to L.A., but I'm not sure if I want to. Because I'm thinking about also going back to South America and maybe opening a business. Because right. my parents have a lot of property down there. So I'm like, Where oh. you can sell $5 steaks. Exactly. <laughs> and so $5 steaks, man. So basically, I'm like, I'm in Connecticut at this point when I uh-huh. message them. And I'm right, I write to them like, Oh, hey. really? Okay. I was in, that's what I did. I never tell you that. I was in Connecticut when I wrote that. Because I was going to L.A. in a couple weeks to visit my sister. So you hadn't officially moved back yet? No. Oh, get out of here. I didn't know this. I lied to Christian. <laughs> oh, wow. We're learning this for the first time here. Yeah. To schmoes, no exclusive. <laughs> you lied to Harloff. Listen, I've lied to get jobs before. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this was, the, uh, there, I tried to get a job at Tropic Thunder, which was in Hawaii. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I lied to him in an email saying I lived in Hawaii. And when they asked me to come in for the work on it, I flew to Hawaii the next day. 
and I totally was just like living off the land. <laughs> like, listen, this is stuff you got to do in Hollywood to get them ahead. Kids take notes. That's how yeah. you do it. Yeah. I'll, where do you need? I live in Omaha. I'll go there. Yeah. So, and I knew where you guys at the time, I think we were recording Universal City. Yeah. We were real up at studio. So yeah. I told, I lied to Christian. I said, Hey, I live, in, I live in Burbank. Cause that's where I used to live. Right. I was like, I know I, I'm not that far from where you guys shoot the show. So I totally lied to him. Right. Cause I'm not thinking there was anything that's going to happen out of it. And then when he tells me that, you know, Hey, let's, he, he wrote me, he goes, let's meet up and have coffee, like a coffee bean or something. Mm-hmm. And I totally lied to him. I said, Oh, I'm visiting my family in Connecticut right now. <laughs> well, I am. Which wasn't a, no, uh, everything is from so, a certain point of view. Exactly. So I came a couple, two weeks later, mm-hmm. I told Christian, I'll be back in two weeks when I was really just visiting my sister. And so when I met you at the Grove. Yeah. Farmer's Market. We didn't meet at the Grove. There's a big difference. All right. Don't cross Gilmore Lane and call it the Farmer's Market. When I met you, I was just visiting my sister, really. Really? I wasn't. You scoundrel. You cheat. I wasn't officially living back in L.A. yet. I'm recalling, yeah, we we met at the farmer's market where yeah. I used to be the, the security director for four years there, so I have an affinity for the place, and I say, oh, all right, fine, let's meet there. Right, we got some coffee mm-hmm. at my ex-girlfriend's mom's coffee shop, and uh, we went up to upstairs in the upper dining yeah. deck, and you proceeded to lie to me, exactly. is what you're telling me. You proceeded to lie and fib your way I don't think I actually lied to you. I think I don't think at any point did you ask me, hell, do you live here? Do you live there? No, at, at no point did yeah. I say, you don't, hey... Quick question. You don't happen to live in Ecuador right now, do you? <laughs> no. So I remember and just come back. And that's why I was in Pasadena. Like, yes. I've never lived in Pasadena before. I was there because my sister was there. And, and is that why you're still there? Um, no. I mean, I moved out. I'm still living in Pasadena right now. Yeah. No, I know you're still there. I, like, I love Pasadena. I do. But I, that's the problem. I grew to really like it. It's a great place. It's just kind of far from everything. <laughs> it is. That's why eventually I am, hopefully by the end of this year, I'm hoping to move back to this area. Mm-hmm. Studio City. There, maybe yeah. Burbank. There's some places right across from the Afterbus Studios. We'll get you in those. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm getting over this exclusive here. If you lying your way, you tricked yeah, us. You're false you and tricksy. You're like some kind of hobbit. It was so funny because... Like I said, Christian literally said, let's meet a couple days later. Yeah. And I was in Connecticut. I was like, oh, whoops, can't. I'm visiting my sister, my right. family. Okay. And so when I, my first show was. So if five. I had said, if I had to come out of that interview yeah. and been like, no way, I you'd be back in Connecticut. I don't, I'd probably be, I don't know, that's tough. I'd or you'd be in like, Ecuador selling $4 steaks to the Federales <laughs> who are mugging people. I would probably be splitting my time between South America and. Connecticut. Well, see, I changed the course of your life then. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I, I changed. This is why I say oh, you got to put yourself out there sometimes. I almost went to Thailand one time okay. to work on the film Rambo. Yeah. Because I'm a huge Stallone fan. Yeah. I wrote the director of photography months, almost like six months before they started shooting. Yeah. And asked him if I could work on the film. This was before I even moved to LA. Gotcha. And I, he responded to me. Hmm. And he said, maybe. And it blew my mind. Hmm. And But then he dropped out of the project. And I had no oh, connection yeah. with that production so when i did come to la and to this day that's why i'll always try because you never know what could happen wow okay so wow then you show up um you lie your way on to us you you move out here then yeah is it fair to say you moved out here for the schmoes that's a lot of pressure on christian and mark it's listen if they should probably buy you some nachos or something my thing was like listen i'm gonna stay with my sister for like a month or two Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna see how this goes with the schmoes yeah and i started working on a podcast and i was like if this actually turns out to be something i like to do i'll move out here so then in that year when i went to my friend's wedding yeah 
which I believe was like November. Yeah. I was only on a show for like three months at that point. Yep. And that trip was not only to go to my friend's wedding, but was to get my stuff to move to LA. Because <laughs> I decided wow. I'm coming back to LA. Wow. You just revealed some mind-bending stuff. Maybe to uh, the audience as a whole out there, you're thinking, oh, I don't know, this is a fascinating story. The kid survived the mugging. But um, that blows my mind because you completely kept that from us till now. Revealed now. I was saving it for this podcast. Wow, the whole time. <laughs> I was like, whenever I go on Ken's compass, I'm going to drop this bomb on him. Wow, that that scares me. I mean, I've wow, the dedication. I, I thought you taking a bus and a train and a helicopter to get to the studio with yeah. dedication. You you weren't even living out here. It's crazy, man. But you know what? It's been awesome. Like I couldn't be happier with working on the show. And I it was apparent to my parents when I went back to Connecticut. Yeah. And they, I think actually they were still in South America, but it's apparent to my friends and family that were in Connecticut yeah. that I really enjoyed the show. And they love watching it, and I was like, I, "I'm going back there because I gotta see what happens." Yeah, and, and you had already been punched by Roddy Piper by oh, this time. Oh man, yeah, my um, friends were so jealous. Now, when you come back, I want to talk about this. When you came back, um, you were not the only intern on the show. When you came no. back, um, Joe Ruggiero, yeah, aka a- Shoesy Pants, Shoesy Pants, was installed as the second intern, and you guys had a bit of a feud. Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, we didn't see eye to eye. You know, not right. everyone meshes together. Right, and it, what was funny is it was a, uh, it wasn't in terms of uh, wrestling terms, it wasn't a work, it was a shoot. There was some legitimate um, heat there between you two guys, right? Listen, I, I have nothing against Joe. Joe's a great guy. He's a great guy. It's just you know, not every, maybe his personality and my personality don't exactly work well right. together. That's all. It's it, what, what would you feel is the the core of that? <sighs> Man. I don't... I'm talking about... The guy's not here to defend himself. Yeah, yeah. I'll bring him back on to defend himself. Don't worry. But. Nothing... It's just, you know, the way his work style... Because he never worked in production. Yeah. He's never... He doesn't He's ha- done some stuff, Has though. he done some he's stuff? He's done some charity mm-hmm. event. Produ- he, he's got a little bit. Not to your extent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably not unionized. But uh, he, I'll defend him a little bit there. Yeah. He's done some stuff. Well, he's run some backstage things for big award shows. Okay. He, just, I, he didn't really show it. <laughs> <laughs> when I worked with him, but he's a funny guy. You know? Joe, Joe's a great I guy. Uh, he is a really good writer. He's, which... he's been working, contributing to schmoesno.com. Yeah. But uh, that feud grew um, over the course of the time. What was the thing that really got you under your skin that it turned the tide from? Well, he did this little stick figure with my head on it. <laughs> it was totally out of left field. Yeah, but I responded with I think a much better video. Yeah, except for you called him Joe Rugarello, which is part of the. Incident. But that's part of your charm. Exactly is. Uh, uh, I blame Guillermo that, del Toro. I blame that. I blame my pronunciations on growing up a bilingual neighborhood. Is know? that what it is? Because <laughs> my dad uh, spoke Spanish, my mom spoke English. Well, I don't think well, I'm time out, time out, time out. I would think if that's true, the fact that you can't say Guillermo del Toro <laughs> would that would that would not <laughs> go to your theory that being of a Spanish speaker. <laughs> It's the what it's the mix of when you try to learn both at the same time oh, and you okay. don't master if it either was of them. William Smith, I could see you going William Smith. <laughs> no, but Guillermo del Toro might be a name you could say in yeah. Ecuador. I don't know why I'm so bad at pronouncing names. I don't know. It's I really, part, it is part of your. I chunk. didn't realize it until I became a schmo. Like uh, no one ever called me out of it before. Yeah, I look. Hey, uh, it's uh, it's it, some names out there. So I. I've mispronounced a few on the news and um, gotten some hell for it from the fans uh, in comments. 
Christian and Mark are pretty bad at times on the videos, but I bring it to a whole other level of bad. Oh, wait, are you calling them out on their no, videos? No, no, oh, even Christian says all the time on some of his videos how he says like names wrong sometimes. Oh, okay. But, You're not here to stir up trouble. No, no, but I brought it to another level when I came onto the show. Yeah, and you still do, and but I, uh, yeah. it's, 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 I'm trying to think of some of your more famous ones. Um, what was John, the John Liejo? John Liejo. That's uh, when I was making that video, and yeah. I, didn't even, I didn't even try to pronounce it right. I was like, John Liejo. Here, here's, what I, here's, here's my tip to you okay. uh, if you're going to put it down in a video. Yeah. If it's on the fly on the show, we all say things. Try just looking up other interviews. Uh, that's that's how I know it's uh, you know Shirsa Ronan versus uh, Shirai Rafsasi. Uh Donal uh, Gleason. Everyone says wrong, and it's actually Donald Gleason or whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, I'm saying that wrong now, but it, yeah. you know, uh, though occasionally you just see some and you think you got it, mm-hmm. and um, and you don't. But uh, yeah. at the same time, I don't want you to correct that because it's part of your charm. I never I never was a guy with a mic in front of me, so right. it never was like we something t- I thought of. We can tell. Yeah. No. Um, well, okay. So going back to the shoesy thing, though, is there ever going to be a reunion between you two? I don't know. I guess that's if mm-hmm. we ever end up in the same social event, maybe. <laughs> Not these days. Not these no. days. Um, so looking back now, I got to ask you this question. Looking back on almost nearly, uh, it's almost two years into this yeah, it's adventure. Crazy. It really... You've been through now phase three, phase four, and now phase five of the Schmozno podcast, now called the Schmozno Movie Show. Um, is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. I love some of the best memories I have from these past few years. Mm-hmm. Like, And there's more to come. And I cannot wait for Comic-Con and stuff. Yeah. Like, Comic-Con should be crazy. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, there's... Listen, money. I'm not. I've never been big. Like, I don't need to have the biggest house or the biggest car. Right. I've never put money in front of you know life experiences my whole life. It's something my parents. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Something my parents installed in me for better or worse. Uh, yeah. You can't put money on some of the stuff I experienced or mm-hmm. like you know what I've done. Yeah, I was. Hey, living a year abroad, I kid, but yeah, I mean yeah. that's brave. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. I know, and I do get credit a lot because I. I don't always do what's best for me, but right. I it doesn't mean I don't regret a lot of it. Put that I live mm-hmm. with very little regret in my life. Um, you know that's the that comes across because you're not one of the no. I'm saying this nicely. You don't, you're not a, a stressed individual. Yes, I've been getting that my whole life. Everyone's always tells me I'm like yeah. so easygoing. And, you are. You you yeah. just kind of roll with the flow. You're prepared through life. Um, you know, you just kind of, and that's what we like about you. And that high, especially now in a, we always, uh, well, we were live from the moment you joined the podcast, but yeah. now that we're kind of a live TV show, that's can be intense at times. And you're in charge of it now. You're engineering. You're learning from Phil over there at After Buzz, and you're running the show. And if you're listening to this, uh, well, this will be Aaron here uh, this week. We got another show coming up with Jesse Eisenberg, and yeah. and, and we're growing, and, and you're a key part of that growth. So yeah, putting money before experiences. Now now our plan is to make sure you have a plate of tacos and maybe a cat. cat Cab ride fare yep. to get you there, but um, yeah. So I'm glad. To, I'm glad to hear that it's worth it. It is, man. I absolutely love it. I would not trade it for anything. What, what do you think? Uh, are we doing justice to this film world for the fans? Because you at heart are still a fan. Yeah, you know, it's. I still am a fan. It's weird coming from that fan perspective to working on a mm-hmm. show. The first couple of shows, I was like, I can't believe I'm here. Yeah, I can't believe I'm watching this live. That's that's funny. Um, 
it's it's funny because yeah we get that now with Cobster. Yeah, I know. I see. And he's a young buck. You you yeah. you had some years to you and exactly. some experiences and and Ecuador and life experiences in college and production and seeing mm. Penelope Cruz in her underwear. Cobster was a young talented kid. I think you're going to see a lot yeah. more of him professionally, folks. Cobster's a great kid, Christian Ruvacaba, and um, it was fun seeing him every once in that. a while on the show. I have to nudge him. I'd be like, hey, you're on the show. You're not a fan of it. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Quit looking at Makuga. Quit staring at him. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, even though I thought that, I yeah. was, I didn't act that way. I hope I didn't come off that way. No, you never did. It, you know when it came out, when uh, whenever we bring you on to talk movies, whenever we're like, Jete, tell us what you feel about Spider-Man. And like 10 minutes later, you're still talking about Electro and, and Pigman yeah. or whatever. Rhino, that was whatever. the hardest thing for me to, when I first, you know, yeah. when I first met you, I had no ambition of like being in front of the camera or right. on the microphone. When you told me when I first met you, hey, you know, you're going to play on once in a while. Yeah. I was nervous the first time I went out for Yeah, no, and that, that was clear, but that's yeah. okay. But I'm more comfortable now. But you like, and then, you, yeah, it's kind of like that grail from Last Crusade. Everyone's reaching for it. Like, yeah. you don't think you want it, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, but I have a point to make. Yeah. Reach for it. Elsa! Um, and plus they're talking about movies, which is, if which I'm is comfortable about talking anything, it's movies. movies. Which, uh, for me, let's, let's set the record straight. I actually do love the movies I love. Yeah, you give me a lot of crap for not liking you movies. Have good taste. I also, I mean, I love Shop Girl. Shop Girl, Shop a Girl. great movie. Uh, yeah, I've seen Shop Girl twenty five times. I've seen Gremlins zero times, which is much to your dismay. Uh, and I have since returned that DVD to you uh, unwatched. I was close to watching it, and then I saw the Cinema Sins preview uh, yeah. or, or coverage on it, and I was like, nah, I'm gonna that's horrible. Because I could take a four minute <laughs> video of ET and I could edit it to look like a horrible movie. You could. You, yeah, you could. I could. So it's like to judge off that is just not the right. Thing, I just, let's get into this debate. For me, I just have, a, and it's even when I wasn't as busy as I am now, and I'm busy now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm up working until 2 a.m. for one of my 12 projects and up at 7.30 to get to work. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, ain't, I ain't doing backbreaking labor, folks. I'm not a prisoner of war. I don't have anything serious. I'm not complaining. I love my life. But I'm busy. Yeah. So if I'm going to take really what's four hours out of my day to go to a movie theater to watch a movie uh go home it better be something good and worth it and i actually enjoy the movie theater experience though i enjoy going alone uh wednesday at 10 a.m okay. uh, occasionally i'll do event movies and wait in line i can understand that uh, i just went to the cinerama dome to see captain america and it was great because kevin feige was there the directors were oh, there wow. they came out and they did a big high and wave and it was great it's yeah. fun great experience and i liked cap too um but if I'm going to invest the time, it's got to be worth my time. And what do you, how do you determine if it's worth your time before you watch it? Gremlin is a, is a it, here's it great is. 80s film. I, I, I look at things very personally, and outside of epics, mm -hmm. epics are different. Indiana Solo and the Fellowship of the Ewoks is my all-time favorite movies. Terrific. Um, but... Other than that, the movies that I gravitate to, I've got to leave the movie crying and feeling sorry for myself. Shop Girl, High Fidelity, yeah. uh, About a Boy, those type of movies. Um, Last of Mohicans is one of my favorites. Um, you know, um, Yeah, it's personal. So when you're like, it's a movie about these little, little alien things and they, you rub their tummies with water and they sprout horns or whatever the hell it is, I'm out. You're wrong. I'm like, eh, I'm sure. I'll look up the plot on Wikipedia, but uh, I'm out at that point. I'm Listen, out. I understand that. When I have a massive Blu-ray collection, I have maybe right. 250 movies. Yeah. I'm in a mood sometimes for a movie like Spectacular Now or Rushmore, which I still want to see. Spectacular oh, Now, I missed in the theater. Oh. And I see that, and that's a movie. Yeah. And see here, where it comes different. 
I can read about it or see a trailer and think, ah, I'm going to connect to that movie. Yeah. And sometimes I just know. But don't you sometimes just want to watch a movie where you have a good time? Like, I don't love... Oh, absolutely. And the Gremlins, it's not like you're going to uh, leave crying or anything, but you're going to have a it. good time. I'm generalizing a little bit. Yeah. Uh, f- and believe me, there's movies that... And this went back to my childhood. My parents That's had to right. drag me out of my room almost physically to watch Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I think that's part of it. I think you're like... And that became, but I'm saying, that became one of my most important movies of my childhood. I dressed oh, wow. up as Pee-wee for Halloween. Oh, one okay. of the reasons I went to the Groundlings because that's where Paul Rubens created wow. it. And one of my great moments was being up in the attic at the Groundlings and seeing like something of his up there, a prop from back in the day. And no like, uh, so, but my point is, my parents had to be like, we think you're going to like this movie. And I'm yeah. like, no, no way. I want to stay in my room and read my G.I. Joe comics. So I, I get, was, that's just the thing I do. I was the opposite. I had to beg my parents to drop me off at the movies every weekend. Oh, yeah, no. Because I was like, I want to go see a movie. Yeah. But you've already um, seen it once or twice. So, yeah, do I like... Yeah. It, 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 things happen. I, look, I hate Sandler movies. I love Happy Gilmore. Well, yeah, that's not a big I, deal. But, but, I, but, but, but my point is, yeah. but one could come out now, and I don't look back and go, well, I love Gilmore, so I'm going to watch this. I'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not. Well, that's understandable. His movies went to, he's been making crap movies yeah, I get for a while. It, I get it, but I, you know, so, so sometimes I am surprised. But the thing is, like, 80s is such a different vibe of movies. Like, it, it, yeah, I know. Some movies in the 80s just grab that time period, and that's yeah. why I love those movies, because it grabs that time period. I don't maybe like that time period, then. <laughs> a Steven Spielberg produced 80s movie is usually going to be a good movie. Uh, I've seen The Goonies once. Okay. See, here's the thing. Stand by me, zero. I love Goonies, but I can understand as an adult. Like, Catherine Reitman doesn't like the Goonies. She revisit. she saw it for the first time, I think, a year sure. ago. She's like, oh, that's kind of a bad movie. And I can understand that because, you know what? Nostalgia probably builds into my like of that movie. Yeah. Gremlins is a generally good movie. <laughs> Look, you and Mark Riley say it. Mark Riley, the editor in chief of SchmoSnow.com. I don't doubt you guys for one second. We've also, it's been documented. The reason I didn't watch a lot of these 80s movies was some restrictions on my parents on yep. what I could watch. And and uh, I'm just such a good little boy that even now at 38, I'm like, I can't watch Top Gun because there's a sex scene in it. You know, yeah. you know, meantime, I'm watching Original Sin. You know, so like, yeah, uh, it, it's just a weird thing. Um, I maybe would aim to correct. But yeah, but you've put, you've, uh, I've tricked you. I've confused you because sometimes I'll be like, oh, yeah, it's one of my all time favorite movies. And you'll be oh. like, how did you, no one's seen Once Upon a Time in America yeah. or something. Exactly. Yeah, you like, bring up the, some of the most random movies. I'm like, you haven't seen like these world-renowned classics, but you see this small film that only maybe like film geeks would watch. It's like I have no idea. I, I can't read you as far as you, movies. You can't pin me down. I can't pin you down. And maybe that's part of my plan. Uh, I'm sure at some point I'll watch Gremlins. Look, I admire it. Um, I tease you a lot, but I admire that you you, you have this passion and, and people like and some of our Schmo fans. In fact, all of our Schmo fans. I don't think any of the dedicated fans of the Schmo's No uh, podcast and reviews and brand, um, none of them lack a passion for movies, and I love it. That's why I'm here. Uh, and they give me a lot of crap for not being uh, a fan of movies, but... It was a shock. I mean, it's shocking when I came onto the show to find out the movies you haven't seen. Because in my head, yeah. I had this built-up image of that you just like the other guys. You've seen everything. It keeps growing, huh? Yeah. I'm a, you know, and I'm a, sc- it, a screenwriter too, and I don't. I just don't like. I don't like watching. It's okay though. It makes it different, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, someone's got to be in charge. Yeah. If everyone's there wanting to talk about movies and do five hours on Amazing Spider-Man two, uh, I'm the one that's going to be. No, we're doing an hour. Well said. Because well we got to do a show. So sorry that I, I did. That wasn't much of a debate. It's just me ranting. Um, but I, I will make a promise to you that I will try to watch some of these movies. Now that we're the brand's growing, we have a screening room over at the AfterBuzz Studios. Now maybe right. maybe we do a Gremlin screen. Seen, I keep forgetting. Have you seen Ghostbusters? No, never seen oh Ghostbusters. Oh my god! 
Yeah. That's worse than Gremlins. That's like 10 times Yeah, I know. Worse. My writing partner, Matt Key, uh, who is uh, one of the biggest, and I'm a giant Bill Murray fan and Dan yeah. Aykroyd fan. I know. Uh, I love Harold Ramis. I love, I, love, I even love Rick Moranis. That's why it's mind-boggling. Just haven't. And eventually, maybe I'll get to it. <laughs> There's people out there who hate me right now more than you hate <laughs> me right, right now. Yeah, but hey, uh, I, I love what I love. I will watch High Fidelity for the fiftieth time. When you were at middle school at lunch table and everyone's talking about Ghostbusters, how how do you, were you just not part of the conversation? Um, well, first of all, I was a little I'm a little bit older than that. True. Ghostbusters was earlier, um, and at middle school I was uh, doing Dennis Miller and Phil Hartman and Dana Carvey characters to the entertainment of all. Okay. Yeah. So um, I like that. All right. I don't know. I'm an enigma wrapped in a riddle of anti-movies. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. Did I disappoint you? No. Because I feel this ended on a down note. No, no, no. Do you I, want to go back to Ecuador and chase down that guy again? Maybe we'll catch him this time. <laughs> I. It's, it's just mind-boggling. It's weird because i got to remember that not everyone's a film geek like me. Right. My immediate family barely ever goes to the movies. My right. parents maybe see one movie a year, if that. My yeah. sister, my friends, they like movies, but I'm like... And, the only person in my family that is a and geek. And what a lot of times we in the industry don't really stop to remember is that most of the people in the world yeah. aren't that. Yeah, I know. They are what's playing on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Captain America 2, all right, looks all right. They yeah. don't know nothing from nothing, and that's I actually envy that position. Uh, it's a business. We forget that we are playing to the middle. Exactly. That's and why Big Bang Theory is so popular, that, much to my chagrin. That's why I loved L.A. When yeah. I moved to L.A., you're surrounded by a lot of those yes. people. When you when I go back to Connecticut, mm-hmm. I'm surrounded. No Look, one cares. Man, no one cares. I, going back to Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. I had two movie experiences in Tennessee. Saw Inglorious Bastards, which I love. Love that movie. Love that movie. Uh, saw that in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So when Brad Pitt's character starts going off about, and he mentions uh, out here in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, the crowd was like standing ovation. What? It was awesome. It was awesome. They were like so happy and proud to be represented <laughs> by Brad Pitt in that movie. Awesome. Uh, the other experience is I saw Tropic Thunder, which oh, you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So, of course, no kept secret to us. Tom Cruise comes on the screen playing the bald, fat movie producer. Yeah. Me and my girlfriend at the time, we were like, ah, that's funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Um, a little bit long, but I love yeah. love the movie. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, look at Tom Cruise go here, man. He's awesome. Movie ends, credits come up, and we're in a packed theater on a Friday night. And Tom Cruise as, what is the character? Len Wiseman or whatever yeah, the character is. Yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise and the whole audience collectively goes, What? Oh, they didn't know it was Tom Cruise? Not a person in the theater, save maybe one or two scattered, and me and my girlfriend at the time. No one else knew it was Tom Cruise. That's insane. And it made me, it reminded me that we got to remember when we're in this bubble, the entertainment industry, there's other people who are giving us their money, and then that that's factors. And, and a lot of times when we're, we're too critical or we're too this or yeah. too that, you, you got to remember who you're going for. And it goes with comedy, it goes with writing. Uh, there's an audience you're trying to reach. Uh, stop trying just to reach yourself, you know? Know what I mean? It boggles my mind if I talk to my mom. She actually does go see a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm so interested. I'm like, oh, what did you go see? Oh God, what was it called? It was that guy. Yeah. That movie with that guy. I can't remember. You saw the movie a week ago. Man, I used to work at a movie theater after I got laid off in radio. My job before I moved to LA, we worked in a movie theater. I sold tickets and, and sold popcorn and all this stuff. And I was at the box office. The manager, they'd wait in line for ten minutes and get up and I'd be like, uh, all right, hi, how you doing? Welcome to Festival Cinemas. Uh. What's playing? Yeah. Oh, my God. Can we have Armaged- Armageddon? 
Armageddon? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that a relative of mine? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I that's know. just the way it is. And, but I, again, I kind of envy them because they get to just turn off their mind, relax, and that's float true. downstream. And we're over there going, oh, but that shot was, uh, yeah. oh, I don't, the character development in this space drama is not to my liking. Christian called me a film snob this past week on the podcast. And I, I kind of agree with him. I think once mm-hmm. you learn, I always. I always relate this to like wine drinkers. Yeah. Someone that drinks wine, they know what year it was made. They know where it was made, how it was made. They'll taste yeah. a $1,000 glass of wine and be able to be like, this is magnificent. Yeah. Whereas a guy who has no idea where that wine was made, what year it was made, how it was made, what the conditions were, yeah. he'll drink it and be like, ah, oh, I prefer this $5 glass of wine. And for filmmaking, for me, it's the same thing. I've like, witnessed that in yeah, a wine store yeah. with a relative of mine. <laughs> and for me, it's like I know so much about film, what it goes to making it. Yeah. I look at it differently. Where somebody that just wants and, a and here's the glass thing. of wine. You and I are, well, not so much me, but well, actually me because of my taste as a writer and my knowledge as a writer and everything. Um, we're, our opinion's valid on it. And we shouldn't apologize for it. I yes. just, I just think you have to sometimes remember. Uh, you know, again, when I ran a wrestling company, sometimes we look at what we want to see in the ring, and, and then the crowd just wants to see someone go bang. Yeah. So that's what I mean. That's why these Sandler films, which have been horrible, still make money. Because a yeah. guy who works nine to five, five days a week, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to go see Drive. He wants yeah. to be entertained sometimes with his kids, and he just wants a cheap thrill. One of my That's all-time fun. favorite uh, comedic icons is Steve Martin, of course. And, and when asked about why he blew up so big in the 70s as a stand-up, as he said, everyone was talking about Nixon and the Vietnam War and all the problems, I put an arrow through my head. Yeah. And that's kind of been my goal. I, I, I try, yeah, sometimes I get little jabs here and there um, on, on my Schmo news. But really, uh, and it's a, there's some of the reactions to the Schmo news. I don't even want to go into it here, but uh, some people totally miss either the joke or miss the vibe of what's going on. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I think you're valid. I think your point's valid that, you know, once you get to a certain level, we, we do know what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. If you or I say the character development in that movie was this – we're probably right. Yeah. It just doesn't matter to the people paying $15 a ticket. They just want to see and be entertained. And so when I see a bad movie, and I know it's a bad movie, and someone says, oh, that's just your opinion. Yeah, it is, but I also know what I'm talking about a little bit. Yeah, it's no, a bad no, movie. I don't I, it is my, yeah, it is my opinion. My opinion's probably more informed than yours. Exactly. It's, it's just the way to say it. The other way around, you know, yeah. I, uh, I, uh, we're sitting on a very nice uh, new structure here. You're hearing the sound of this uh, Knapsack Files Mini Mo Taverns bar that was handmade. Um, I would. My opinion on this is not that informed. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, that's just the way it is. So, all right, we have uh, we've had a fun talk here, learning a lot about uh, uh, Josh the intern, aka Josh the engineer, aka Jete, aka Mister Ecuador, aka Josh Tapia. <laughs> Mister Ecuador, I like that. Mister Ecuador, we're gonna start calling you that. And you have revealed some great stuff, uh, some valuable lessons for those outside of the industry looking to get into the industry, film school students, and a lot of our schmo listeners are younger, uh, and they're aspiring, passionate film fans, and they want to become filmmakers. And I think these lessons that you say, uh, including the line you're way to get into jobs um listen if i can say anything to anyone that comes out yeah wants to be a filmmaker don't be afraid to put yourself out there right 
even the smallest thing that might seem as like you know the chances are a billion to one yeah do it because you never yeah. know what could happen dreams man have your dreams but make them your goals and work for the goals is what i uh, believe in uh, dreams are dreams but goals are uh, attainable if you work for them so that's what you've done that's the lesson you've given and you've also taught us to not be afraid to travel to other countries where the federales will put you in the back of their pickup truck and chase after the man who just held you up with a fake gun and the biggest thing of all and it might not matter to the world at large but the fact that i hired you on a lie and even till this moment christian and mark do not know that you left everything (laughs) behind to be the man that runs and gets them some beer down at the cvs yeah (laughs) so i am so glad that you've stuck with us and you are killing it uh in schmoes and i mean it when i say if not for you as dylan wrote and harrison once saying if not for you uh there would not be a schmoes movie show right now I'm going to pretend like I know what that song is and what that quote's from, but I have no idea. <laughs> if not for you, all things must pass. All right, look it up. See? That, now now we're talking about my stuff. Was that a Tupac music. lyric? It's a Tupac lyric. <laughs> exactly, so. it is. So from my heart, uh, thank you, Josh, for all you do in Schmoes. No, I'll be happy to buy your next two for 20 steak dinner with you and Cobster after the show. And many great things to come on the Schmoes No movie show. Be sure, be sure to keep track follow them on twitter at schmozno go to schmozno.com every thursday night 6 p.m pst to catch the show live and where can the fine folks find you on the twitterverse mr josh at schmoz jte and we're gonna you know there's a chance by the time this actually hits air tomorrow that will have changed because you've changed your name a few times we didn't get into the secret kid you apparently have (laughs) uh that we learned from twitter um so okay Schmoes JTE? At Schmoes JTE. At Schmoes JTE. All right. Please give him a follow. Talk movies with him. This guy will tweet for hours about movies with you if you give him the chance. So thank you so much for coming to the Knapsack Files Lounge and the Mini Moe's Tavern Bar. Until next time, for Josh, for the Schmoes, this is Ken Knapsack. This has been the Knapsack Files. Knapsack Files.